This is Collective Voices, where each month we look at one issue facing the Cape Fear region and how it's interconnected, requiring a comprehensive solution. I'm Kevin Maurer, Director of Community Engagement for the Cape Fear Collective. In our first season, we're talking about problems facing the Cape Fear region and highlighting some of the frontline organizations addressing them. The goal is to come up with a common language so we can unite and find solutions. Today, we're talking to Patrick Bryan, CEO of the Cape Fear Collective, about collective impact and how the methodology can address the region's problems. Welcome to the podcast. What's up, Kevin? Hey, all right. So let's start in the beginning. I mean, I, th- I think we've, you know, you, you've done a lot of meetings, collective impact. I, th- I think people get it, but I'm not sure. I know it took me a while to get a hold of it. So tell me really quickly, what is collective impact exactly? Sure. So it's it's really just a, a structured way uh, to achieve social change, right? And so there's hundreds of organizations in any given region or city uh, who are doing work, who are trying to kind of push social progress, push you know public health and economic development in their communities. And so what Collective Impact does is, is provides an infrastructure and, and a doctrine and methodology for all of that work to kind of be amplified through these mutually reinforcing activities. And so it's it's not it's a it's not necessarily a change in what organizations do on the ground. It's really a, a change in the kind of how we address the connective tissue between them and how they work together. So it's the, the collective idea being that each group does their part, but if they're all doing it towards one goal, you get a better chance of getting to the goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and kind of how do how do the organizations kind of spur uh, and amplify their impact based on who's on their left and right? Are they in the right place at the right time with the right citizen or patient or target audience uh, to, to kind of achieve the, the most change, to achieve the greatest impact possible? Right. Teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah. Yeah. Changing, changing the world's not a, it's a team sport for sure. Uh, and I think that's kind of the focus of the methodology. Well, and, and uh, you know, give me examples of where have you seen this, this collective impact work before and sort of what kind of things have they tackled this kind of methodology? Yeah, so I think, you know, the, the term collective impact kind of came out about 10 years ago um, through some, some articles out of the so, uh, Stanford Social Innovation Review. But really, it's been around for a long time. I think just now you're starting to see the, the doctrine, the methodology start to solidify in terms of structure. Uh, but this work's been happening all over the place. And so the big uh, some of the big examples uh, are really around a kind of cradle to career initiative. So really focusing on childhood development, education, all the way through attainment in terms of, uh, you know, well-paying jobs, education, et cetera. And so the main um, kind of the, the pioneers in this space is really the Strive Network and, and particularly an organization called the Spartanburg Academic Movement. Uh, and so they're, uh, you know, out in South Carolina and they're really focusing on some evidence based practice and kind of organizing school districts and organizations around uh, uh, driving change, driving uh, uh, outcomes uh, around kindergarten readiness, around third grade reading, eighth grade math, high school graduation, uh, and kind of building up an infrastructure uh, under each of those metrics that allowed all the organizations across, you know, seven or eight school districts to work together to achieve th- those goals. Um, but we've seen this work in a lot of different areas. We've seen it in public health. We've seen it um, in terms of more equity-based initiatives uh, in South Dakota with with reservations and, and tribal equity. So uh, this is something that's kind of sweeping, kind of sweeping the nation. And we've also seen a lot of it here in New Hanover County, uh, where really after the storm, uh, everyone kind of realized we have to work together. Uh, and, it, and the storm kind of revealed some gaps in, in our social progress, uh, you know, systems. Uh, and I think that brought a lot of organizations and a lot of different practitioners together. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Florence, just from having been here for a decade, I think Florence really shook up this community and I think exposed some things, but also showed where the unity was. And I, and I think, you know, compounding and building on that is going to be is going to be key. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, talk. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, sort of specifically what what we're doing. I mean, I've been in, we've been in a lot of meetings. We've talked to a lot of nonprofits, but uh, the data platform seems to be you know very popular with with our with our partners um, and this network mapping and and, and this idea. I think the, the beginning of the collective and trying to find the way is, is an important start. Yeah. So I think we started out in this process by. Uh, kind of, you know, adhering to, to that collective impact methodology uh, as it is kind of at the national level today through the Collective Impact Forum and some other organizations. And so we, we started to say, OK, well, you know, what are the things we need to do to achieve collective impact? And so according to that doctrine, you know, we have to have a common vision. Uh, we started to say, well, what is that vision? What are the problem? What problem are we trying to solve and how do we determine that? You know, shared measurements, um, you know, those kinds of things. We started to kind of rack our brains around, well, how do you get to that place? And so that kind of is where the data came from. And instead of going out into the community and saying, well, we're going to do this initiative, we said, well, one, uh, we need we don't have really no clue what that initiative should be or how a resource to achieve success there. But two, um, you know, I know I wanted to kind of really put a flag down to say, you know, whatever we build should be able to be used by everyone, whether it's a large nonprofit, a church, an individual citizen, an advocate. Um, Even if you're in the Collective Impact Initiative or working towards it or not, you should still be able to have access to a shared measurement platform. And so that's kind of where that was birthed from. Um, And so the way we're looking at it is is kind of two parts. The first being, uh, you know, what ails us? So we look at public health data, we look at economic opportunity data, most of it's outdated, most of it isn't even collected here in New Hanover County. So what we have is, is nonprofits, social service organizations doing the best they can with really not, uh, with data that's not accurate and not necessarily up to date. So we end up spending a lot of time being ambiguously right versus precisely wrong and that, that's a challenge for us to adjust programming on a dime. So we've taken a look at you know three or 400 different uh, health and opportunity metrics. Uh, we're breaking down the methodologies of those metrics, and then we're saying, okay, how can I take a local partner and fill that gap? Uh, that brings our data up to current uh, with current locally available data that's accessible by all folks, right? Um, the other end of that, and this is kind of from a global view, you never really have the data around how communities are organized to affect change. We have it, you know, you do some asset-based mapping, you do things in neighborhoods and certain specific areas, but no one's really kind of gone out there and say, let me take a look at every single organization, influencer, entity in the social impact space, whether it be a corporation, a government, or a nonprofit, or or a faith-based organization, an individual, whatever it may be, map them out, understand how that ecosystem works and how it can be applied uh, to that public health economic opportunity data. And so it's what ails us, how are we organized to affect those symptoms? And then you take those two things, present that back to the community. And that's a pretty powerful flashlight into that kind of what's next conversation. Equity. Equity is an important thing. We talk about it a lot. It's in the first part of our, you know, our sort of mission. What about it is equity? Why, why is equity in the front of this versus, you know, some other qualities? Sure. So, you know, I think... First of all, there's there's a there's a conversation around equality versus equity, right? And there's the fact of the matter is is that there's systems in this world and in this in this country that have kind of set conditions that folks some folks need a bigger step to get over that wall to get over that barrier. And so when we think about not just you know this initiative or that initiative or this ten year plan or this neighborhood initiative here. Uh, the infinite mindset, the infinite game that we're trying to play is really about building an equitable future for generations to come. And so if we constantly have equity at the center of everything that we do, it kind of transcends politics. It transcends the data. It transcends all of our um, kind of perceived notions about how things should be and how things could be. and really gives us a centered kind of grounding in this equity-based approach. And so 
we felt very strongly that we had to have a North star. We had to have a, a, a place that we always kind of could come back to when we were, you know, kind of wandering in the darkness a little bit, trying to figure out what's next. And if equity's it, uh, we felt like that was kind of the best thing for us in terms of, you know, the highest chance of not faltering. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where we started out. And I think it speaks to a lot of folks, uh, especially on the front lines of some of these key issues is that they're just seeing that there's, there's kids out there, there's families out there that don't really have a chance. They need a little extra. Uh, and if we can focus on that kind of 15, 20% of our most marginalized citizens, uh, I think we can do a lot of great things. It's funny. It, it's, it's never something I've ever thought about. And now, having worked now, you know, you know, for the collective and, and doing this work, when you think about it through equity, I mean, to me, it's very simple. It's, it's what, is this fair or not? Mm-hmm. And if you, if you see the world that way, I think it, it really is a nice guidepost to, you know, to, to call walls and strikes, to see the world. If you're thinking about fairness and, and equity versus, you know, policy and other things. Yeah. And I think, you know, fairness becomes tough to you, right? Because it's like who dictates that. But I think that, um, when we think about it in terms of, you know, whether it be equitable access to services, equitable access to, to career opportunities, equitable access to quality education. Um, again, we wouldn't have to have that equitable process if there wasn't some history behind why we're here, right? And some of those are policies. Some of those are historical events that have really kind of traumatized our community and really set us back. And so focusing on this idea that there are certain populations in this community that have been marginalized for decades, if not centuries, by focusing on that aspect, um, that's, I think we, we may not necessarily get to the fair part, but we get as close as we can as human beings around, you know, trying to level the playing field the best we can. Yeah. I mean, fair may be a bridge too far, but if you get close, you've, you've made progress. That's it. Yeah. And, and, and equitable, I think also gives you a little bit more credence around the data too, right? Like you can actually measure equity, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard to, I think fairness is one of those things that's like tough to measure, right? Yeah. But equity in terms of breaking down and stratifying the data with, by race and by socioeconomic class and really understanding uh, through the work that you do with the lived experience, we can really start to put some quantitative and qualitative data behind that word equity. Uh, and again, it's 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 a floor, not a ceiling, right? It's a place to start from. And that's how we always look at it is if we're always coming from this place of, of being equity driven, uh, you know, hopefully we'll kind of stumble upon some of the answers that are correct. Right. Um, persistent problems in the Cape Fear. I mean, you, you You've been doing this work. Uh, you've been doing meetings what for the past year? I think what you, I, last I think I heard you say some three hundred some meetings. That's a lot of meetings, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of problems are coming up consistently with these meetings? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. You know, I've I've done I've done this work all over the world, and this is one of the first places I've gotten to where um, I've sat in a lot of nonprofit meetings, and folks have actually. You know, well, what issue are we trying to solve? Well, this is a problem. This is a problem. And as the conversation ebbs and flows for the next hour, it always ends up uh, around racial equity, which is really interesting to me because a lot of times, uh, particularly in the global health space and in some of those big cities out in the U.S., you don't always see such such grounding from a nonprofit community in racial equity. And so that's definitely the kind of forefront of a lot of the conversations happening out there in the community, uh, particularly given Wilmington's history uh, and over the last hundred or so years. You know, this is this is a hot topic, but also, again, going back to that equity piece is very critical 
uh, and very at the center of, of the work that a lot of nonprofits are doing. This is what they're seeing with their own eyes. It's not necessarily an opinion. It's just this is what their patient, their citizen population is. Um, and how do we kind of break that mold? And I think that that is at the core of a lot of things that uh, we're fighting, whether it be hunger, public health, you know, diabetes prevalence, uh, violence, domestic violence, all those things kind of tend to center around both the equity piece. And in this case, in this region uh, has a lot to do with racial equity and then particularly social, socioeconomic equity. I mean, that, that's the way I, I mean, if you think of like, tr- you know, transportation is an issue. Well, th- that's beca- that and that that issue leads to, you know, job finding jobs has become an issue. You know, food insecurity ties back to. So I, the interconnectedness of all these issues, I think, is is what opened my eyes initially, it, you know, working. Yeah, this is there's systemic issues. Right. Yeah. And so essentially what we're doing with Collective Impact is we're 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 kind of building our own system to combat it. Right. And so up till, till, you know, in a lot of places, you know, there's always these very finite interventions trying to solve one single thing instead of kind of thinking about how do we build the, the system in which, cause there's always going to be homelessness, right? There's always going to be issues. That's, that's, that's something that we can't necessarily eradicate, but what we can do is provide a system that is incredibly reactive to conditions on the ground and to, to circumstances we can't even imagine yet. And again, doing it with that equity focus, uh, you know, that's something that will transcend, you know, a lot of different um, phases of life, a lot of different, you know, kind of eras in a region uh, and, and hopefully last a long time. So you've done you've done this kind of work not only here, but over in Africa. Um, ta- how did these problems here in Wilmington sort of measure up to some of the things that you were tackling maybe in Rwanda with your other work? Yeah. So, you know, I. I kind of worked at an interesting intersection where uh, we were, you know, worked for a global health nonprofit called Partners in Health. We were building a health sciences university in Rwanda, and it was an interesting concept, right? Because uh, our organization was born uh, in the 1980s in Haiti by a young, you know, medical student named Paul Farmer. And what he, what we always set out to do is, wasn't we weren't there to necessarily, um, you know cure malaria or cure this disease or solve this single problem for us, we always said, you know, we come, we build health systems, we stay, right? So it's a system for us. And so I think a lot about that in this work today is we see all across the U.S. the 10-year plan to do this or this neighborhood initiative to do that. And, and kind of where my training came from was based on these systemic interventions. And so Dr. Farmer, for instance, is in Haiti. He, you know, when HIV sweeps really the world, but particularly there in rural Haiti, and he says, okay, well, I, you know, one, from an equity standpoint, right, I need to treat these folks. And this is, this is him talking about this in an era when the U.S. government's stance was you can't treat poor people for HIV in their own country, let alone Africa or somewhere in the Caribbean, right? So this is a pretty radical thing for a young doctor to be saying. He says that, then he says, okay, if equity is at the core of this, I'm going to figure out a way to give these very expensive but effective drugs and antiretroviral therapy to these, these people, my neighbors. He does that. He says, "Okay, well, now that I've done that, uh, I, you know, there's other. There, I have to treat for tuberculosis, right? I have to treat for these other symptoms, these other diseases that are that are ailing them. Uh, but if I give them those medications and they're not eating, they're not going to get better, right? So I'm going to give them food. And so it's really hard to deliver all these services too. So you know, what? I'm going to create a community health worker program, one of the first in the world, right? Which which is interesting to see the American healthcare system now talk about community health workers like they're new. They've been around a long time." But he came up with these innovative solutions because it wasn't about curing HIV. It was about providing equitable access to a healthcare system that provided quality care, right? And so when I think about that history all the way up to UEGHE in Rwanda, a lot of people say, why are you building a health science university? Well, it's our answer to scale. Like we can't treat everyone, but we could train the next 30,000 global health warriors in rural healthcare in these areas. 
And so it's a different way of thinking about solutions from a finite mindset to an infinite mindset where you have equity, you have systems at the core of what you do. Those things transcend decades. They transcend centuries, not the finite mindset around we're going to treat this disease and that's it. Right. And so I think we, when I approached this work early on, that's where I was coming from. And that's how I've tried to build out some of the infrastructure at CFC is, is kind of thinking in that sense. I need this thing to last well beyond me, well beyond any of us for, for a long time to come. A system to fight a system. Correct. Right. Which makes perfect sense. Um, but that system is only as strong as its partners. Sure. So, you know, I've heard you talk about this idea of building a new town square. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean? Explain that to me. Yeah. So, um, you know, we had said, you know, so it's a, with collective impact methodology, a lot of it is always a, a, focused on a specific social problem. Right. And I have a, I have, I take, uh, I don't like the word specific, uh, very much in this context. You know, when I look at the systemic change for me, we've positioned ourselves as a backbone of backbones, right? There is already great work going on in this community. Uh, and a lot of it collective impact in nature, whether it be resiliency task force, blue ribbon commission, you know, you name the coalition out there, they're doing great things. So we already pushed ourselves back a little bit to say, uh, you know, we're going to kind of be a backbone of, of backbones um, and, and we're not going to necessarily um, pick that one one thing. Um, and so so that led us to kind of think about, well, what are we really trying to achieve here? And to me, the visualization that I have is, is a town square, right, where, you know, town squares in this town haven't always been that equitable. Right. Uh, folks haven't always been allowed to come freely and speak freely in those in those town squares. And so redefining what a town square is in this community is really important, both from an advocacy standpoint, from a justice standpoint, but also from uh, what's next. Right. How, how do we discuss that? How do we have that conversation? And so, you know, I always say, like, we're you know, we were trying to build a new town square and we're the, the gardeners, not the gatekeepers. So our job is to create an apparatus, to create infrastructure, to create a sense of place that allows all these nonprofits to come together, citizens to come together, corporations to come together and talk about a, what the future of Wilmington in this region looks like. And to do that uh, in a public, transparent way that, that, that really embraces differences in opinions, um, but also allows us to mobilize and allows us to build a movement. And so, you know, the collective has various initiatives. You may, you know, be a part of one for a year, but then you're, you're good. You, you kind of took that data, you're running with it. Great. Go do your thing. You need us. We're here. That town square is always open. Come back uh, and we can continue to collaborate. But it's it's a very open, transparent, equitable place where we're really trying to drive towards that brighter future uh, while still acknowledging our past. I also see it, too. It's like a natural the system will build itself. Like yeah, the, the, those point. groups will get together and they'll find a way to collaborate if they have a space to collaborate in. And I think that's one of the things that's that's maybe hasn't happened yet in Wilmington. Yeah, that's, that's well said, right? It goes, you know, there's, again, all that work is happening in all kinds of different areas and all of it's impactful. Um, but if there was one place where all that work could just kind of come together, it's not that we own any of that work. We certainly don't. We want the frontline organizations owning whatever they feel they need to own and what they're best at. But yeah, like one place where we all kind of start to build a shared consciousness around the problem we're trying to solve, how we're trying to solve and how we work together to get there uh, is, could be really impactful, I think, long-term. I mean, I think we saw a little of this when we uh, we were in a meeting uh, with the Arts for Equity, and we Not had sure. all these these arts groups together. And, and uh, what I marveled at in that meeting is as it got going, mm. 
like there was one idea on one side of the table and it was sort of bounce around and yeah. it, it gets growing and growing and growing and it had nothing to do with us. We just get everybody in the room and yeah, this absolutely. kind of grew naturally organically. And, and, and now we have a plan and, and everybody's invested in that plan because they built it right there. Yeah. And I think the, the other difference to that, right, is, is it, so that happens so, so often. And a lot of times you're, you know, as, as Tracy Newkirk would talk about, right, like the intentional collisions piece, right? We're kind of creating some of those conditions, but then we're doing the follow up, right? We want folks to come to the town square to have a conversation, to share ideas, to say, okay, this is what we think is next, right? We're not prescriptive from the CFC angle. We're there to kind of be servant leaders in a way, but we say, okay, this is the plan. And then we're all, we're able to kind of lean in with project and program management uh, and keep the trains running on time while the folks go back to their day jobs, which are incredibly important. Uh, and they're easing that suffering in the community. That's where we want them to be. Right. But we can kind of look to the next month and the next year and we can think about those things on behalf of them uh, in a collective manner. That's the, that kind of really has a lot of traction. And, and we add that administrative horsepower that's sometimes lacking in, in other coalitions without backbone organizations. Yeah, I mean, you're, I'm looking at, I've met up with a lot of nonprofits who are doing great work, but it's like drinking from a fire hose. They're always busy. And so you give them that, that just moment to breathe, to brainstorm, to collaborate, and then not have to worry about keeping that collaboration going, but then can go back to their job. I think is, is really is where we're getting the best traction, at least initially. And really following their lead, right? Like they have a vision. They know the answers to your point. You know, they're, they're out there having to fundraise and struggle for resources and they have patients and citizens and clients that need them um, on a daily basis. And so they're putting out fires, but, you know, we can look out and say, okay, this is, this is what I'm hearing from the community leaders, the community organizations. We can execute that vision on their behalf, uh, kind of in the spaces between those meetings and those collaborations and those formal MOUs. We can keep that, that train driving. And that's really critical, I think, for momentum. Funding. You bring up funding. Yeah. Uh, you know, Wilmington is a funding desert. Yeah. How is that? What's the, what kind of pressure do you think that's putting on, on these frontline organizations? Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of folks have seen that slide, right? When we look at the per capita asset and funding uh, revenue rates for 501c3s, when we look at the other uh, comparison counties, whether it be Asheville or Winston-Salem, I mean, they have somewhere between, you know, five and 10 times as much money uh, per capita as we do here in Wilmington. We're facing this similar or, or worse social problems in a lot of cases. And so um, it's, one, it's created a very scrappy and a very resilient nonprofit community who gets a lot done on a little. Um, but also, um, I think that if we really want to see some of this, uh, some of this collective work that's happening now really take to the next level, uh, we're going to have to up those numbers. Um, and so the nonprofit community is under a tremendous amount of stress. And so what we're trying to do is kind of bring in some fundraising capacity through grant writing and some other things that will support that community. But also this data platform allows those nonprofits, again, whether they're you know, a small shop or a big shop to say to the national funders, to the larger funders at the state level, I can generate outcomes versus outputs, right? And so the the movement globally around these types of funding is shifting towards that data focus. And most nonprofits don't have the capital or the resources to do that type of work, or um, they're doing a program intervention and the downstream effects of that, that data is owned by a totally different organization that they don't maybe not even know exists, right? And so bringing all that into one place allows those organizations to do better work, right? Just they'll have a much more greater awareness of, of their ecosystem, but also, you know, kind of go after larger and larger checks because they're proving capacity. So I feel like we're like a snowball just starting down the hill, right? Mm -hmm. When the snowball gets to the bottom of the hill a couple of years, five years from now, what, where do you, what do you, what kind of impacts do you see? Where, where do you think this is headed? Give your best guess. 
Yeah, so I think, you know, it's human nature. Again, going back to some of that stuff with the, the finite versus infinite mindset, we're not trying to do the five-year plan to do X, right? So we're trying to change the way that this community addresses social prog- progress, that trajectory forever. That's that's the goal. And so I think five years from now, what you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of folks doing exactly what they've been doing, the good work that's already going on in the community. Um, but you're going to see a more cohesive kind of place where um, we're able to push data, we're able to support those organizations, we're able to build broad-based coalitions. And I think more so than even internal changes, I think you're going to see a lot more attention thrown our way for the good work that we're already doing, right? So some of it's kind of bringing the world into Wilmington and Wilmington out to the world, right? Uh, and so you can imagine the collective kind of still really being kind of leading from the back, right? Not in the forefront, um, but really putting the, the, the nonprofit community out there ahead and, and letting them run with some of these ideas and us just filling the gaps and trying to trying to be supportive of that through that data platform, through the fundraising capacity uh, and, and through the, some of the things that we're doing with collective voices around uh, trying to tell that story. Um, and so, again, it's really about amplification for us. And so I think that infrastructure will really come together over the next four or five years. Uh, and I think it'll kind of be a new way of doing business. Um, and I think it'll kind of start to to, to seep its way into just our, our day-to-day consciousness in terms of how we operate and, and how we, uh, we try to achieve those equitable goals. For more information, visit us on capefearcollective.org and follow the movement on social media. Don't forget to subscribe wherever podcasts are available.